Welcome into another edition of J Man Sports Podcast. Glad to be here with you. Coming up on today's episode, we'll, we will be discussing uh, the new GM and head coaching hire for the Lions. Uh, and then we'll be hot stove. It's actually plugged in and, and and starting to percolate a little bit here the last couple of days. So we'll talk about the the latest moves and the biggest moves surrounding Major League Baseball. And then our pick six coming up. At the end of the program, I will break down the conference championship games for the National Football League and tell you who is going to go play in the Super Bowl in Tampa this year. Before I do that, I'd like to remind you to stay connected to our social media pages. There is an announcement coming. I'm waiting for one thing. But in the meantime, stay connected to our social media pages. Facebook, J-Man Sports, Instagram, J-Man Sports Podcast, and Twitter, at J-Man Sports Pod. Alrighty, so this week we had the the introductory press conferences for both Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. Now, I'm not usually a guy that likes press conference for many reasons. I don't think a lot of things happen. I don't think they really say anything. And I also I think you, you give your really good journalists and really good reporters that ask insightful questions. And they get you know insightful answers. And then you have your other reporters and journalists that just ask questions to get reactions, and I don't think they're really well thought out questions in my eyes. As an aspiring journalist, there's a fine line, and I, honestly, I couldn't tell you where that line is. So what I liked with the introductory press conferences um, were I loved both spoke the same in terms of kind of what the identity of the football team is, and that is they want they want a team that competes. They want a team that plays hard. They want a team that's passionate about playing football. That's for the team. And they want to take on the identity of the city of Detroit. Love it. Absolutely love that. That they're kind of again, they had their press conferences on separate days. But they kind of said the same way about how they kind of want to go about building the team, what they're kind of looking for. They want, and they spoke very much about passion. You had, you had Brad Holmes just consistently using the word passion. He also said the word process a lot, but um, and he also said great question a lot. But he always used the word passion. And Dan Campbell's giving a war speech about climbing up and taking somebody's, and, you know, and ripping out somebody's kneecaps and love it, love it, love it. Wanted to run through a brick wall for both guys. Secondary, what I loved, or secondly, what I loved, um, I love that they're not tied to a scheme. Like Dan Campbell said, that he's not tied to a scheme. He wants to exploit weaknesses. And some people might look at that and go, well, he's not an X's and O's guy. That sounds like uh, any average Joe, you know, uh, you just want to exploit weaknesses. That's what everybody wants to do. That's what schemes do. But this is what I thought with what Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were going to bring. I thought they were going to bring that from New England. The sense of exploiting weaknesses. They didn't. They just brought a bunch of expatriates players and a scheme and one scheme that just did not work. And you just they tried it and tried it and tried it and tried it and it just did not work. I love this. This is what I this is this is what teams need to do. Don't fall in love with the West Coast offense or the spread or whatever it may be. Work on getting your best players on their weakest players. Why was Alabama so successful this year? Because they put um, Devontae Smith in different positions on the field to exploit weaknesses. But they did. 
why were the Patriots so successful? Because each week they came up with a different game plan. They changed their game plan. They weren't tied to one scheme. Yes, they had they had concepts that they liked and concepts that Tom Brady liked. But in all honesty, they changed up their team. They, they, they would go from a running team one week to a, to an aired out team, to, 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 uh, to an air raid team another week, to a balanced team another week. It was awesome. On the offensive side, the defensive side, again, they have their concept that they like, but they can run different things off of those concepts. And again, exploit the other team's weaknesses. So I, those are the things that I loved. Absolutely loved. What I didn't like was Brad Holmes using the term retool rather than rebuild. Didn't love that. I'll get to that in a, in a moment. And like I said, what I, what I didn't really like was a couple of the questions... I didn't like the Stafford questions. I understand why they were asked. That doesn't mean that I have to necessarily like them. I, I really, really, really didn't like those questions being asked because I didn't really expect... Like, how are they going to answer that question? They're talking about a guy who's been here for 12 years. You're asking, you're asking about a guy who's been here for 12 years. And um, to, to, but to two guys who've only been here for a, like a cup of coffee... And I don't ultimately think the decision's going to fall on them. So, again, I didn't think they were really going to say anything, and they really didn't. So I I didn't love those questions, and I didn't like Michael Rothstein's question to Sheila Ford during the Dan Campbell press uh, conference, asking about, you're talking about, you know, uh, Calvin Johnson. I really didn't like that question. Why are you asking that question? That has nothing to do with Dan Campbell. Nothing. Why would you? I I get it. The last time you're probably going to see and talk to Sheila Ford, but... Seriously, like, why would you ask that question at that time? So, those are a couple of things that I didn't necessarily love. And of course, in the world that we live in today, people have either people have already made their opinions about this group. They've already made their opinions. They've already said either I like the Dan Campbell and 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 Brad Holmes duo, or I don't like the Dan Campbell Brad Holmes duo. Honestly, I can't make I. Until they actually do something, I can't actually make a judgment. You, you just can't. And it's not on-the-field performance. It's what they do this offseason is going to tell you whether or not they honestly believe that they're going to rebuild or retool. I'm on the side of rebuild. I want to see the Lions rebuild. To me, retooling necessarily doesn't always work. And especially for the Lions because... Usually you retool when you've been good and you're now coming out, you know, a couple players have left or retired or whatever the case may be. So now you have to kind of, you know, replenish the stockpile, right? Kind of like what the Saints have done, what the uh, Steelers have gone through, what the Ravens have gone through. And then they, then you, you come back up. The Lions have never been at that pinnacle. They've never been like the Saints or the Steelers or the Ravens. So why do you believe they have to retool? They're coming off a five-win season. What on earth tells you that this team is even close to competing? I mean, their defense finished last in most statistical categories, and their offense was just middle of the pack. And everybody wants to say how bad their defense is, and it was terrible. It was atrocious. But, I mean, again, their offense, they, they, had, they, had, a, they, had, some older, they had some older receivers, um, they've got only basically two real weapons, and that was Hawkinson and Swift. I mean, yes, Marvin Jones was a nice complimentary piece going down the field. He almost had a 1,000-yard season. 
Um, but Kenny Galladay didn't play all year. Well, basically didn't play all year. He played only half the season. Mohamed Sanu was a nice addition, but an older guy. Danny Amendola, slot guy. Your offensive line was decent, not great, not really all that good, but it was decent. So there's a lot you have to rebuild on the offensive side, too. Again, you were a five-win team. So what tells you that this team's going to compete next season? Nothing. So I, again, whether they're going to rebuild or retool, that's kind of where I'm going to make my judgment on them. Because I want them to rebuild. Now, based off what they do with Stafford, to me, isn't going to make my make or break my determination. I don't believe they have the say with Matthew Stafford. Again, these are guys that have been here for a cup of coffee to a, a player who's played here for 12 years. It's not in. It's not. It's not been a Ford ownership thing to just cut ties off. Again, this was an organization that gave Matt Millen seven seasons. This was an organization that gave Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia two and a half seasons, and that was already probably too long. Um, I foresee this happening like Philip Rivers, where Stafford's contract ends in two years. They'll say, thank you, we're going to move on, though. But thank you for your service. I just don't see them moving on. And there's also various reasons with the cap situation. Now, I would love them to trade Stafford, because talent-wise, Stafford is the best player on their team. He'd probably yield them the most in return in terms of draft picks and future draft picks and stuff like that. But again, with his $35-plus million cap and the fact that it's going to have to come from ownership... And I just, I don't foresee them being able to move him. So I, I don't look at that as a, as a determining factor. You can still pick a quarterback this year and have him sit behind Stafford for two years. You, you, you can do that. It's not necessarily um, a, a bad thing. And uh, Aaron Rodgers sat for three years under Brett Favre. So that's not going to make or break my, my, my kind of opinion on these two. It's going to actually be what they do with the Patriot, what they do with the call them Patriot leftovers, what they do with the last regime's leftovers, like Deron Harmon, Tracy Walker, Jelani Tavai, Jamie Collins, uh, uh, Danny Shelton, Jesse James, kind of the failed draft picks. And again, Tracy Walker's been successful, but I don't really think that Tracy Walker really wants to be with the Lions. Well, kind of like the draft picks that maybe necessarily didn't hit, and the free agent signings that really didn't necessarily hit, what are they going to do with those players? And then what are they going to do with Aquara, and what are they going to do with Kenny Galladay? Because to me, if they re-sign one of those guys, re-sign both of those guys, they're telling you that they want to retool. Because they're telling you that they're in a spot where these guys will make a difference on their team. I personally don't think the Lions are in that position. The Lions aren't where the Tigers said that they would be. Right, Tigers told us they would spend money this year, right? They were going to come out of this rebuild this year, and they didn't do that. And the Lions are, to me, at the very beginning stages of tearing it down and rebuilding it. So you can't be going to spend 15 plus million dollars on a pass rusher. You can't be going spending 18 plus million dollars on a wide receiver. You can't do it. Whether you franchise tag them or resign them, you're, you just you just you can't you can't do it. You're, to me, you're not in that position. And then ultimately, what they do in the draft as well. Again, I am under the impression that they should choose a quarterback because, to me, your quarterback is what, what starts your rebuild. Again, a lot of new regimes, they, they tend to pick their own quarterback. 
And to me, that has the, that has the highest success rate. Not keeping leftovers from previous regimes doesn't really have that much success, i.e. the Raiders, i.e. last week's episode titled Lions New GM. Go listen to that. I go, I go into that. So I am under the belief that they should choose a quarterback in this year's draft. I am very high on a couple of guys. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, those are those are two I mean two quarterbacks that I believe the Lions can can select. I believe that they will probably be there. Zach Wilson more of a debate whether he'll be there or not. Trey Lance will obviously be there at seven. It's just determination of whether you value him at seven or maybe the second round if he drops to there. No idea. It depends on how his whole combine goes. But that's kind of where I would like to see them go, but there's a lot of people that want to see them tend to this defense because this defense sucks. My theory on it is whether you choose defense or whether you choose offense with your first pick, that's the direction you have to go. Both sides of the ball have to be rebuilt anyways. So whether you choose a guy like Micah Parsons, and though I don't believe Parsons is one of their type of guys because he didn't play this year and that doesn't fit in the whole passion for playing kind of thing, but let's just say they choose Micah Parsons at number seven. Then the remaining draft picks, the majority of them, should be defensive players. If you choose a quarterback, you choose Zach Wilson, then the majority of your draft picks should be offensive players. You have to be rebuilt to meet both sides of the ball. This team is a good three to four years away from really, really competing. I think you can accelerate it if you chose a quarterback and decide to play him right away. I think you could accelerate that maybe by a year. Maybe, maybe. Again, quarterback doesn't play defense, so... Um, but this team is a long, long ways away from rebuilding. or Sorry, long, long ways away from actually competing. And to me, they need to rebuild, which is why I didn't like it when Brad Holmes talked about retooling and him, oh, you know, if he just says retooling instead of rebuilding, no, 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 those are two different things. Really two different things. And I know Detroit sports fans don't want to hear rebuild because of the Pistons, the Red Wings, and the Tigers, but this is something that the Lions have had to do. And they just have refused to do it for not just the last 12 years, but the last 60 plus years of this Ford ownership. They just they feel like they can always just retool and 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 you know and, and they'll be back and they'll be good. And the problem is when you keep saying that for 60 years, that means you haven't been good in 60 years. <laughs> Where do you have to go back to the 50s? That's that's a long, 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 long time ago. I know for people that were born in the 50s, you don't want to hear that, but it was a long time ago. So like I said, I can't necessarily make my determination on these guys um, because I have to see what they actually do. These guys were not on my list of coaches and GMs that I was looking into, right? I mean, Dodds with the with the Colts was a popular option guy that I, that I was very much interested in. John Dorsey was a guy that I was very much interested in. And then for coaches, Ryan Day was the guy that I wanted. And then you had Robert Sala, Joe Brady, um, Brandon Staley, Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, there there were a lot of other guys that were kind of in my head for coaching way, way, way before Dan Campbell and way, way, way before Brad Holmes. So if I'm basing it off of that, then yeah, I'm not too happy with the hire. 
but just because I, just based off of that they weren't on my list, is not a determining factor that I can use as an opinion to say whether I think whether they're going to be good or whether they're going to be bad. Because what the what the bleep do I know about about evaluating? Again, I was interested. I I wanted Patricia. So I loved what what loved. I I and I was clearly wrong about Patricia, by the way. Um, I I was totally totally loved what they said in their introductory press conference but you can't make a judgment based off of what a, a press conference you have to see what they actually do you have to you have to the term put money where your mouth is this, this is now it's put up or shut up how they build their staff and whether they decide to rebuild or retool it's going to be determined to me based off of what they do with the old regime's leftover players and what they do with Aquara and Galladay and then obviously what happens in the draft. So coming up after this quick break, I want to discuss the MLB hot stove. It's actually like been plugged in and starting to heat up. Talking about the latest moves and the biggest moves in uh, Major League Baseball when we come back. Stay tuned. Ron John Swanson here. There's only two things I love in this world. One is any meat product and the other is the J-Man Sports Podcast. They talk any and all things sports. And you can download their podcasts wherever and whenever you want. I would suggest that you listen to that podcast. Or don't. I'm not a beggar. Welcome back. So, we've been talking about football on this podcast for the last couple months because really baseball forgot to plug in their their hot stove. They really did. There have been a couple of big deals here and there in the offseason, but really there's been nothing to talk about. Baseball is my favorite sport, and maybe it will have something to do with J-Man Sports and the announcement that's coming up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But there's really nothing to talk about. I mean, there's just a random deal here, the random deal there. As of late, though, there's been a, kind of a flurry of moves. They they all of a sudden plugged in the hot stove, and all of a sudden, you know, started to get starting to get a little bit, a little bit hot. No, the big free agents in Bauer and Riamuto haven't signed, but Springer, Lemayhew, Corey Kluber, they all they've signed just recently. The Padres have been very active on the trade market, and the Lindor has been traded, and there's been some aggressive teams, some non-aggressive teams, and I kind of wanted to talk about you know, all these moves. We want to start with the latest moves and work our way kind of back to the the bigger moves that were made at kind of earlier on in the off season. And I want to start in Toronto. This is a Canadian based podcast. There's a lot of Blue Jays fans out there. I want to talk about your two signings and Springer and Yates. Yates, there's not much to talk about because he he, he fits exactly what the Jays need. The Jays needed bullpen help. They needed pitching help. Boom. Fits fits it perfectly. You didn't give up too much money. It's a short-term deal. Former All-Star. Love it. George Springer, I like it. I like it because it is that big free agent signing for a team coming out of a rebuild, right? Like, now they're going to be, now they're in contention. Then now they need to kind of start filling some of their holes, right? And, and he fits a hole in the outfield. He fits a hole at the top of their lineup as well. It's just the amount of years. I don't have a problem with the money. The money is right where I thought it would be. If you would have asked me, it would have been about 100 to $150 million, probably more of $120, $125 million that George Springer would have gotten if you would have asked me at the beginning of the offseason. 
It's just the level of production for six years is what I'm worried about. I think the first two years of the contract are going to be are going to be fine, right? Age 31, 32 season, age 32, 33 season, going to be fine. It's going to start at that age 33, 34 season and then beyond. He's a power hitter, right? And typically as you get older, your power is going to start to diminish. Now, Toronto, if they can actually play in Toronto, it is more of a power hitter's park. And you're playing in 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 state in 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 parks like Camden Yards, Yankee Stadium, and um, and Fenway Park, which again are more, um, you know, power hitting friendly parks. So that's good. But again, as you get older, your power starts to diminish. And being an outfielder, that takes a toll on your body as well. I'm just I'm a little bit nervous of the production heading through. Again, I like the deal. I just don't love it for the amount of years. Going to somebody like the Yankees signing DJ LeMayu to a six-year deal, a player who's one year older, who's 32, it's a little bit different. They're different players. DJ LeMayu, just as of recently being with New York, signing that two-year deal with New York a couple years ago, turned into more of a power hitter. Because before when he was with Colorado, and even when he was with the Cubs, he was known as a contact guy. Known as again, he won a couple batting titles or won a batting title in the National League with the with the Rockies because the guy could spray the ball all over the park. And to me, that will that will translate a little bit longer than what Springer's power will. Now, Lemayhu is a bigger body. You're playing more. You're playing a middle infield position. That's going to be a little bit harder on your on your legs. So we'll see how that kind of transpires. But six years, $90 million, to me, there really isn't a huge risk there. Um, again, player got what he wanted in the years, and the Yankees got what they wanted in the dollars. The second move for the Yankees, Corey Kluber. The Yankees need pitching. You've got Garrett Cole, your, your ace, right? He's the guy you expect every five days to go out there, give you quality starts, give you even better than what the definition of a quality start is. You know, they're going to give you great starts every five days. You expect that. But all of a sudden, you start to filter out the Yankees' pitching rotation, and you're just kind of like, well, there's a lot of question marks. Tanaka's good, better in the postseason than he is, than he is in the regular season. Severino can't stay healthy. Hap didn't pan out. Paxton didn't pan out. Montgomery is, you know, he's okay. And so you start looking at the Yankees' rotation, and there's a lot of question marks. Getting Corey Kluber helps. You're not going to get a guy like Trevor Bauer. Yankee fans want to get Trevor Bauer, but that's just not the reality. They're they're not the Yankees aren't in that financial situation that they're just going to just dish out a bunch of money to Bauer. Getting a guy like Corey Kluber helps. You're not going to re-sign Tanaka. You weren't going to re-sign Paxton. You weren't going to re-sign Jahab. He helps. He would be similar to any of those players. I would say he has the potential of being more like Tanaka, more consistent than the other two. But he's coming off of back-to-back seasons where he basically didn't even pitch because he had suffered season-ending injuries both seasons. So you don't know what you're going to get from him. I like the move. Don't I like the move. Don't love the move. Um, from the standpoint that the Yankees need a pitching, you got you, you love it. Again, it is Kluber. 
and you don't know what you're going to get from him. That's why I don't love the move. You just I, I expect him to be a mid four ERA guy. That's what I kind of expect. He's going to strike some guys out, but I expect the velocity not to necessarily, not necessarily excuse me be there um, like it was when he was with the Cleveland baseball team. That's what they're probably going to be referred to now this year. You know, they're still going to have the nickname Indians. A lot of people refer to them as the Cleveland baseball team. Moving kind of to the Cleveland baseball team, um, they traded Francisco Lindor. Finally, after two years of them talking about moving Lindor, they finally move Lindor. They move him to the Mets. I liked. I you know what. I, I liked what the what the uh, what Cleveland got in return it wasn't to me like anything fantastic, um, but it, it was a good haul, really good haul. Um, I thought, and then for the Mets, I like the move. Again, I just don't know if I love the move because you have to resign him. He only fits if you resign. His personality fits New York. It just does. He's got that just that that ambient um, personality, that just ray of sunshine, that 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 smile, the way he plays. He just has fun. Love it. And that to me kind of fits New York. But you have to resign him now. It's one thing to get him. Now you have to resign him. Going on to the Mets' other moves that they made, signing Jace McCann. Love it. Love it. Was he the best catcher on the market? No. You signed him earlier on in the offseason. But I love the move. He's a he's a leader. He's a guy that's been around, you know, he was with the Tigers and, and then to the then with the White Sox. And he's a guy that just he's not really great at really doing anything. But he's good at doing a lot of different things. He's got power. People always want him to have a little bit more power, but he's got extra base power. He can hit for an average. Um, he's got a cannon for an arm, um, and he's getting better and better at his pitch framing. And again, he's a leader on and off the field. Love it. I thought the Tigers were premature in just DFAing him and letting him go to the White Sox, where he was able to shine. And then I didn't understand why the White Sox signed Yasmani Grandal when they had James McCann, who was coming off an all-star season. Didn't really understand. Again, you can't expect him to hit close to 300 or anything like that. If you, but if he can hit 260... 270, still throw out guys, do good pitch framing, have a little bit of extra base pop. He fits four years, 80 million, love it. So, again, like the Lindor trade, but now they have to resign him for me to absolutely love that trade. I think he fits in, I think he fits with the team. I love the aggressiveness, but they have to resign him. I loved the James McCann signing. Now, going to a team, transitioning to a team that if there was an award for winning the offseason, in the last probably seven years, the Padres would probably have at least won that award twice. Because this year, by far, I think they have won the trade, the uh, the offseason. They traded for Blake Snell, which, again, they, they learned that, Cor- that, that, that Clevenger isn't going to pitch next year. So they had an obvious need at starting pitcher. You thought maybe they would sign a guy in free agency, and then maybe, you know, you heard them in talks about, you know, Snell and about you, Darvish. If they could land just one of those guys, those two could fill Clevenger's spot. They went out and got both Snell and Darvish. 
And then they went and signed Joe Musgrove. I love it. I love it. The the, the interesting one is going to be you Darvish, because I expect Blake Snell to be you know top of the rotation guy. You Darvish he's hot and cold. Like with the Cubs, he was just he was just kinda hot and cold. All of a sudden he'd be rolling along, rolling along, rolling along, then all of a sudden he'd have like two or three bad starts, and then it'd be like, what's wrong with you, Darvish? And then all of a sudden you'd get back to rolling along, rolling along, rolling So I'm interested to see how that works. I love the I love the move. I love the fact that they took on the money and they didn't have to give up a whole lot. In both trades, they didn't give up a whole lot. I mean the Rays weren't probably gonna get a lot for Blake Snell because that's just how the Rays operate. But they didn't have to give up a whole. They didn't have to like give up the farm to go get these guys. They're going to add an immediate impact to an already team that's going the postseason. Now, like I said, there's no award for teams that win the postseason or win the win the offseason. There's 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 no there's no reward for that. And the, remember, Padres were a team a few years ago. Remember when they got Kemp, they got Upton, they got James Shields. Everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, they're going to win the they're going to win on the field." They won the offseason that didn't work. So I'm I'm interested to see how how it plays out. I think this time they did it a little bit better. They took calculated risks. They didn't give up a whole lot. And they got they 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 went after their need and they just kind of like exploit like they exploded on starting pitching. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Now we'll get into the sad franchises that are the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and the Detroit Tigers. Both really haven't done much of anything. The Angels really haven't done anything, to my knowledge. The Tigers, their one major league signing was Robbie Grossman. And Robbie Grossman's good. Good player. He's a new two-year deal. He's a good player, not a great player. I was very much interested in... Kyle Schwarber, who ended up going to the Nationals. That's who I wanted for the Tigers. I know a lot of people wanted David Dahl. Dahl's Detroit was trending on the Twitter. Um, but I I really wanted Kyle Schwarber. Left-handed bat, corner outfielder, which is exactly what they needed. And you didn't have to give him a huge contract coming off a bad season last year. And instead you went and signed a platoon player who, you know, is good. He gives you a little bit of extra base pop. You know, can play multiple positions, that kind of thing. But he's not Kyle Schwarber, so I was a little bit, dis- I'm a little bit disappointed in that. With the Angels, they just haven't done anything, literally nothing. Like the reason why I'm including them into here is because a lot of people thought the Angels were going to be like the Padres. They were, they had an obvious need at pitching, and they were just going to explode trying to get pitching, and they were going to get a plethora of pitching, and they just haven't done it. For a team that's got the best player in baseball. They really don't like to surround them with anything. So, a little bit disappointed with those two teams. The last thing we want to talk about is the Washington Nationals. And their deals are more recent, but honestly, as I was going through, I skipped over the Nationals by accident. So, they're going to be the last team I talk about here. They signed John Lester, and they and they signed um, Kyle Schwarber. Um, I, I, I like both those deals. I mean, Schwarber's going to help protect some of their younger hitters in their lineup. And John Lester isn't going to be a guy that's going to be an ace. He's not going to be a top-of-the-rotation pitcher like he was with the Red Sox or like he was with the Cubs when he first got there. But he's a guy that you're getting for kind of his post, you're getting for his postseason success. And you're getting, um, as a guy who's just every fifth day, 
a guy who's gonna give gonna go give it your all. I mean, I hate the term innings eater, but that's what he's gonna be probably in the regular season. More of an innings eater. He's not gonna. Yes, he's gonna pop up with some pretty good performances here and there, but he's probably gonna get hit around. He's probably gonna give you about five-ish innings a game. But you're really getting him for his postseason. You're getting him for his leadership. Think about it like Joe Thornton to the Maple Leafs. You're not getting necessarily a huge production from him, but you're getting his postseason, and you're getting his leadership. Kyle Schwarber, again, they needed they needed an outfielder. Um, he's he's on a one-year prove it deal. Didn't not having a not having a great season, or didn't have a great season last year, but not a great defensive player, but still huge power bat. He's a guy that's got 30-plus home run potential, 100 RBI potential, and he's a guy that, that can hit and run. He can hit 250, 260, 270. I like it for both sides. I love I love both deals. So, in general, I, I've loved a lot of the deals, and I really like a lot of the deals that are happening. I'm a little disappointed in some of the teams that should be making moves. The, the Tigers, the Angels, the Brewers, teams like that that were kind of in postseason contention, really not the Tigers, but... We're kind of in postseason contention that you kind of expected to make moves that just really haven't made any moves. Kind of disappointed in those in, in those teams. But again, the Nationals, the Mets, the Indians, the Yankees, the Blue Jays. I love it. I love it and continue to do it. I'm interested to see when Bauer and when Rio Muto do sign, where they end up going. They're going to sign in February. They're not going to. There's no. There's there's absolutely. No way that they're going to sign here in January. They're going to sign in February. Hopefully it's not super late in February. But I'm interested to see where they go, which teams pick them up, and when they do get picked up, I'll obviously talk about it. So coming up after this quick, short break, going to get into our pick six segment um, where I'm going to break down and tell you who is going to play in the Super Bowl this year in Tampa. Stay tuned. Ron John Swanson here. There's only two things I love in this world. One is any meat product, and the other is the J-Man Sports Podcast. They talk any and all things sports. And you can download their podcasts wherever and whenever you want. I would suggest that you listen to that podcast. Or don't. I'm not a beggar. Alright, time for our pick six. Getting a little emotional. It's our second to last pick six of the Super Bowl will be our last. I wanted to break down though these games before I just give you my expert opinion on uh, on who's going to win um, and who's going to face off in the Super Bowl. I kind of want to want to break these matchups down because I think they're, they're they're really interesting. I want to start with the NFC um, Championship game. That is Tom Brady and the Bucks traveling to Lambeau Field and taking on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Now, Tom Brady, in throughout his 21-year career, he's made it to the championship game 74% of the time. That is an incredibly impressive stat. If you know me, you know I love Tom Brady and I dislike Aaron Rodgers. The issue I foresee happening in this game is Tampa Bay isn't New England. right? When Tom Brady was with New England, they were used to being in the moment. There were a lot of players that were used to being in that moment. And they didn't necessarily press. Like, last week, Tampa Bay, to start that game, they were nervous. You could tell based on their special team. Their special team was awful. And their offense wasn't sharp. I mean, their offense has been sharp all year, but it really wasn't sharp last week to start the game. 
and their defense was okay and got better as the game went on. The good thing for Tampa Bay is that they do have Tom Brady. Brady doesn't get blown out in, in, in playoffs. Whether you like him or you don't like him, he's going to scratch, he's going to claw, he's going to compete. I don't think this is going to this is going to be an interesting game. I think this isn't going to be a blowout. I mean, I don't, we have no idea how Tom Brady's blood's going to go, going to be because apparently, according to him, it's gotten thinner since going down to Tampa. Whatever that bleak that means. But for the Bucks, breaking it down for the Bucks, there's a few things that they have to do. One, they have to play Tom Brady's strengths. That is running the ball, being able to run the ball, being able to use the play action off of the run, and using short and intermediate passes. The thing is, Bruce Arians loves to just air it out, right? That's his M.O. But the Bucks have had the most success when they have been able to take what the defense is giving them, take those short and intermediate passes, and then that opens up down the field. Last week, they only completed one pass of over 20 yards. That was it. Because New Orleans wasn't giving them that deep ball. Well, you think Green Bay is going to give them that deep ball? No. So they have to play to Brady's strength. Number two, Brady has to be more on. He was just a little bit off last week against New Orleans. Again, you can, you can get by because Drew Brees isn't Aaron Rodgers. Drew Brees can't throw the ball 10 yards down the field. Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball 40 yards down the field. Aaron Rodgers is playing like the MVP of the league. So you, he, Tom Brady has to raise his level of plays to be a little bit sharper. And number three, Defense, you have to play to your strength, which is your speed. David and White going sideline to sideline is a scary combination. Okay, you're a little bit handsy, you know, you're a little bit handsy on the outside. And on the inside, you're not necessarily going to go going to pressure Aaron Rodgers. You can keep him in the pocket. And this has been my theory with Aaron Rodgers throughout his career. If you can keep him in the pocket, he's less dangerous. It's when he can roll out and extend plays, that's when he's at, that's when he is at his best. That's when you have the 20, 30 yard pass play down the field because he can get over to the side, he can roll out near the sideline. If you can contain him in the pocket, use your speed with your linebacking core between David and White, it's going to be a good day for the Bucks. Now, the fourth thing I'm gonna say is, you have you, you just have to come out with more energy. You can't come out like like what you did last week. Last week you were a little bit flat. You pressed. You can't come out that way against the Packers. For Green Bay, for them on in, in this matchup, look, you got to play. I'm going to say the same thing. You have to play to Aaron Rodgers' strength, which is being able to run the ball consistently. Not necessarily having a great run game, but being able to run it consistently. And getting the ball to, to Adams. You have to get the ball to Adams. He's your playmaker. The corners on the outside for Tampa Bay are not great. They're good, but they're not great. Adams, I would expect that they're going to move him around and they're going to try to get him the ball. Secondly, somebody's going to have to step up. One of these other receivers is going to have to step up because you know they're going to try to take away Devontae Adams. So one of these other receivers, has to, maybe it's Aaron Jones in the passing game. Maybe it's Lazard, maybe it's Valdez Scanling, maybe it's Tunyon. Whoever it is, you have to have another one of these playmakers step up. On the defensive side, stop the run. Stop the run. Yes, 
you want to obviously hit Brady. That's the big. That's that's Brady's big mo. But if you stop the run, you're taking away a leg off of Tom Brady. He loves the play action pass, and you'll be taking it away. You stop the run, you will have a lot of success. And the the, the fourth ish, the fourth thing is use your home field to your advantage. Use it. It's going to be cold. Use it to your advantage. Keep Brady over on the sidelines. Keep him under that big old jacket. Let his, you know, let him get warm and just, just attack. So, this game I think is going to be very interesting. I believe the spread is like three and a half, I believe. So, again, people aren't saying, like, Vegas isn't saying it's going to be a blowout, but there's a lot of experts that believe that the Packers are going to run away with this. I don't foresee this happening. I don't foresee both number one seeds moving on. And I'm going with the upset here. Maybe it's because of my love affair for Tom Brady. But I just feel like with all the adversity that the Bucks have had to deal with this year, with all the turmoil, with, ooh, is Arians and, you know, what's the relationship between Arians and Brady, and no bringing in Antonio Brown, and the offense not clicking, and the defense being hit and miss. Look, they beat them, they beat them before. I get it was in Tampa Bay, but they already have the recipe to beat Queen Bay. They do. I believe in Tom Brady. I don't believe in Aaron Rodgers to a certain degree. And I know that's very weird to say, but Tom Brady's the GOAT. Aaron Rodgers is chasing the GOAT. Until Tom Brady gets knocked off, i got to go with Tom Brady. So I'm going to take the Bucks outright win. Can't believe I said it, but that's... I, I think I, I just... I believe in Brady. I believe in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Moving on to the AFC Championship game, you've got the high-flying quarterbacks, right? It's Josh Allen and the Bills taking on Mahomes and the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes said that he's going to play. That's good. If you are the Buffalo Bills, here are the things that you're going to have to do to win this game. Number one, you have to pressure Mahomes. And he has to come from different areas. I agree with what Tony Romo said last week that Cleveland didn't do the best job at, and that is you have to pressure from different sides. You have pressure from his left, pressure from his right, you have pressure up the middle, but you have to pressure him. Keep him in the pocket, but you have to pressure him. Make him throw just a little bit earlier than what he wants to throw. You have to mess up their timing because, again, with this high-flying offense that Kansas City has, it's all about timing. And you have to just kind of disrupt that timing just a little bit. Number two, you have to limit the big plays. Cleveland couldn't do that last week. They could hold them a few goals, but they, they could not hold down the big plays. And that that's what you're going to have to do with those. It's tough because of all the speed that they have with Hartman and with Hill on the outside. Then obviously Travis Kelsey is at the tight end spot. And then depending on who the running back is, you know, they, they love to get out. They love the big play. They feast on the big play. You have to make them methodically go down the field. It's very, very difficult for, for you to do that, but that's what you have to do. Then on the offensive side, to me, you got to hold the ball. You 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 got to be a little bit more balanced, but you got to hold the ball. You your best probably your best defense will be your offense in this game. Your defense is good, very good, better than what even what I think it is. But again, you're not going to limit the Chiefs <laughs> in big plays. I just said that they had to. I doubt that they're going to be able to. So to help counteract those big plays, you've got to sustain long drives. You have to. Cleveland didn't do a good enough job at that last week. If they could have, 
and they could have capitalized on a couple and they don't fumble the ball in the end zone, they would have won that game. And then, number four, look, you're playing, you are playing the champs. You have to get up, you have to get energized, you, you, you can't press because as soon as you start to press, as soon as you start to feel that little bit of doubt, Kansas City is going to run away. So you can hang with them. You can. Offensively, defensively, you can hang with them. Believe that you can hang with them. And it could be a very good day in Buffalo. There'll be a lot of plastic tables being broken. For Kansas City, look, you can't... Number one, don't play down to the competition. You are better than the Bills. You are. You are the. To me, you are the best team in the AFC. You're the best team in the NFL. You're better than the Bills. You're not, you're not by far better than the Bills, but you are. Don't play down. Play... Dictate the pace. Dictate your game. In every postseason game last year, again, they got down. This year, they're playing the Bills. The Bills are the best team that they will have faced in the last two postseasons. That's better than San Francisco last year in the Super Bowl. I feel like if Buffalo goes up by 10, Buffalo is going to hold that lead. Kansas City's not necessarily going to be able to come back. So for one... Don't play down your competition. Dictate the pace of play. Number two, you're going to have to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands quick. As I said, kind of what the Bills have to do is, is they have to pressure him, get the ball out quick. That, 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 that's how you're going to negate the pressure. And they did a good job of that last week. They handed it off. They ran the ball well enough. They got the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands. They got the ball in Travis Kelsey's hands. That's what you're going to have to do to beat Buffalo this week. On the defensive side, Honestly, you're going to have to kind of do the same thing what the Bills are going to have to do. You have to pressure Josh Allen from multiple different spots. He's great against the blitz. So, to counteract that, I'm not saying don't blitz. That's what you do. That's what Steve Spagnuolo does. You have to bring blitzes from different spots. You have to confuse the young quarterback. You have to bring a corner from one side, drop a DN. You have to, you know, maybe pressure up the middle, drop both DNs. You, you, you have to... You have to do something different to get pressure on him. And the fourth thing for the Kansas City Chiefs is I'm, the same thing that, I'm, that I said about the Packers. Use your home field advantage. You have the most amount of fans. Use that to your advantage. Again, yay, Buffalo's had fans, but they haven't. They won't. No team has had to deal with the noise that's going to be at Arrowhead this weekend. Nobody's had to deal with that because there's basically been no fans or very little fans in the stands. Use that to your advantage. Use it and, 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 and you know, try to guess the snap count, try to try to get him to false start, get him to jump offside. Use it to your advantage. This one, I'm rooting for Buffalo to win, even though I love Patrick Mahomes. I really do. I love Josh Allen, but I, I adore Patrick Mahomes. I've been a huge Patrick Mahomes fan since he was drafted by the Chiefs. I have a Patrick Mahomes jersey that I'll probably be wearing. But I'll be going for the Bills. That doesn't mean, no, I can, I, I can pick the Bills. I'm going to pick Kansas City because I really do think that Kansas City is the best team. And until they get beat, you can't pick against them. You, you just can't. So... I've got the Bucks beating the Packers, and I've got the Chiefs beating the Bills. That means it's a Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl in Tampa. That would be really awesome. And those are the pick six. 
thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for supporting this podcast. And don't worry, you definitely will be hearing from me soon. Thanks.